Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You don't got to die. morning. I'm Sheila Hamilton. Welcome to I'm Listening Portland. That song we were just listening to by Logic, when he performed it at the Grammys, it led to triple the normal amount of calls to the National Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. The message, you're never alone. There's always hope and recovery from mental health problems is possible. It's the one thing I want to focus on in the next half an hour. I lost my late husband to suicide 12 years ago, and I've devoted a decade of investigating and writing about and speaking about suicide prevention. I wrote a book you can check out called All the Things We Never Knew, Chasing the Chaos of Mental Illness, because I think so much of the problem begins with our inability to actually talk about mental health problems. I provide a lot of resources for families that are going through crisis, and most of all, I end with a message that your life is really important and there are so many people who care about you. Today, we're going to be joined by Dwight Holton. He's the director of Lines for Life. I've all at what would you say is the most important thing that your operators and these people who are providing this help are doing for folks? The call counselors will tell you what they do. The most important thing they do is they meet the person calling where they are. And they get into the mud with them if that's where they are and help them understand where they are. They're compassionate about hearing and listening to where a person is and struggling. And they work with that person to find that way forward, to find that ray of hope, whether it's a family member or a friend or an experience that's out there waiting to happen as a positive place moving forward in that person's life. And I just want to talk about the need right now, because earlier you were outlining some numbers that were absolutely shocking to me in terms of the increase in people using these resources. Why don't you talk about that a little? We've seen a really remarkable phenomenon both here on the Oregon National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and on the Lifeline nationwide. In the last about two years, a little bit less than two years ago, we went from really a really stable number of calls. Every year we'd hear from 12 to 14,000 people. In the last 12 months, we've heard from 25,000. And that growth has happened starting in about October of 2016, and it's undeniable. It, the growth has been nationwide. It's been more intense here in Oregon. Because you've actually said October 2016, and I immediately think about the election, are many of the callers reporting that they have an unease with what's happening on the national scene? So it doesn't get that specific, but I do think we're seeing two factors driving this volume. One is very positive. We've had significant exposure in the last couple of years, both because of tragic deaths of high-profile folks like Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, but also because of aggressive efforts from folks like the artist Logic, who wrote a song dedicated to the National Crisis Line that was nominated for an Emmy. Um, but 
on the more challenging side, I think there is a generalized growing growth in anxiety mm-hmm. that's leading people to call us. So it doesn't show up as I'm calling because I'm upset about this politician, but it does go up show up as folks calling us just more anxious. Our world seems to be centered around this kind of divisiveness. We want people to be on the extremes. We want people to be in the news all day long. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was about the importance of allowing people to find a little bit of hope in talking about this topic. First of all, the number of people who die by suicide in Oregon is a really disastrous number. Nationally, 45,000 in Oregon, 750. And so that's two times a day, more than two times a day, we lose a neighbor to suicide. And I want to focus on the number of people who are saved. I want to focus on the number of people who call in who find some something and something an operator says that helps them get on the path to recovery. Is it eight times that? Is it for every person that we lose? Is it eight times? Is it 10 times? What's the number? Well, I can tell you this, 95, about 95% of the calls we receive are resolved without having to call emergency services. So we're able to talk to people uh, all day long. And the calls range in acuity, right, from people who are having bad days to people who have a gun in their hand right. and are ready to commit suicide out in the woods somewhere. And the the those calls, 95% of the time, we don't even have to call emergency services for help. And even when we do call emergency services for help, that often has a decent outcome. It's not the best outcome. The best outcome is when you can get there without having to involve emergency services. So we do know that... We talk to thousands of people and we're able to help thousands of people and we've got to continue to grow that base, right? That's where we need to be. And I think it's also uh, where the focus should be in talking about people who I had this thought is common when you're in despair to have a thought that you think it might be worth it to be over. But what we should focus on is actually the people who are getting through it, whether it's with a combination of medication and family support and therapy and walking in the woods or whatever it is we're asking people to do to actually bring those stories to light as well. I think that's really important. And I think the other component that we emphasize at Lines for Life is the upstream prevention. So our youth line initiative is a terrific service that both answers the calls of teens calling in crisis. It's teen counselors, so it's a peer-to-peer service. But an essential component of that service is we take teens into schools around Oregon and help teach help-seeking behaviors to other teenagers. We try and train teenagers to understand that it's okay to ask for help and how best to ask for help. Because if we can build these help-seeking skills early on when anxieties are about the math test as opposed to something more dramatic and, frankly, more dangerous, then we can help the kids help themselves early on and not worry about it. In the media, it's reflected drug use is a way to forget your problems. Partying with your friends is a way to forget your problems. But the true building blocks of self-care really aren't taught. So if you're from a troubled home or you live in a neighborhood where you're not seeing a lot of examples of people living well and taking good care of themselves, one doesn't know how to to self-soothe. We don't understand what meditation is. We don't know about yoga and its benefits. It's not a trained skill. And it's something that we assume that people develop. But the reality is 
that the stress that young people feel from a relationship issue or a grade they don't want to tell mom about or anything that is a common to growing up, that stress is physiologically identical to the stress that you and I feel when we're trying to figure out if we can make a mortgage payment or how we're going to get to work. <laughs> That's right. Actually, it might be more because we've had longevity. We have all this wisdom to, to understand, I'm going to get through it. I've gone through hard things before. I know I can do it. When you're that young, you don't have that long view yet. That's right. right. We have a lifetime of skill building for uh, help seeking, right? right. And, and, for so, and for solving and problem solving. Yeah. And kids don't. So when they get that stressor that really physiologically shows up just like the stresses we feel, yeah. they don't have that catalog of responses that make up healthy coping. And that's where our youth line really works to engage kids to help them develop their help seeking skills. So if we can, if we can catch them when they call us because they're having a bad day because of a bad grade, Maybe they will never have to call us back with something more dire because we've helped build in them those help-seeking skills. If you're just joining us today on I'm Listening Portland, I'm Sheila Hamilton. I'm here with Dwight Holton from Lines for Life. You've talked a lot about young people today, but have we also seen those similar increases in your veterans line? So we have we have grown the work in our veterans line. The National Veterans Crisis Line continues to reach more and more veterans and family members every year. We're a part of that here. The uh, Veterans Administration runs a couple of lines back east, and they have one contract person, namely us, to help them meet that volume. And yes, we, we see that continue to grow. We've also just launched here in Portland, uh, in collaboration with the Clackamas County, a senior loneliness line. Oh, wow. Because, well, we, you're right, we tend to focus on young people. Uh, there's good reason we're investing in our future, right. right? We're trying to build the future. But the reality is that the suicide numbers become much more problematic as folks get older. Yeah. And so the senior loneliness line is intended to start to try and chip away and provide support and strength for folks as they age and they go through the challenges of getting older, like losing friends and losing your place and your sense of where you are. Uh, and that we're really excited about that service. I'm always of the mindset that just as we kind of know how to send someone to the hospital for an e or the ER for a broken leg, we should have the number for lines for life in our pockets so that if you see someone who's in crisis and they don't know what to do, you can actually say there's help out there. That's exactly right. And and it's really important when you're when you're talking with someone about their stressors to help them understand their resources. There's hope, there's a way forward. And I'd love to see our phone number on everybody's phone. Why don't you give that number now? Sure. You can reach the crisis line anytime, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-TALK. We're there ready to help. That sounds, this is a good time for the Logic song to come in, Dwight. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's he been so great to talk with you. Really good talking with you. Have we missed anything at all? No, I just want to say thank you for your leadership on this. You're voice is so powerful in bringing people to help understand that this is a health condition that we can meet just like we do diabetes and other challenges. And it's when we remove that stigma right. around mental health. So people, you'd never go a week without fixing a broken arm, but right. why do you go a week with depression and anxiety? No doubt. Dwight, it's always so good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Sheila. 
One of the most hopeful things that I think we can do on a program like this is actually hear from people with lived experience, people who have walked through the journey of dealing with a brain disorder, a behavioral disorder, or a mental illness. And I am so thrilled to bring in Jay Strasser because he is with a group that I think is providing phenomenal support. Jay Strasser is the Unity Supervisor of Folk Time, and I want to just welcome you, first of all, to the show, Jay. Thank you. I need a little bit of background about how your signs and symptoms appeared and when you really knew that you needed some help. So I, I was in, went in the military when I was 17, and I was in the military for six years. I went to Desert Storm, and when I came back, I had some issues I'm adjusting sure. and um, started drinking a lot. And then I got out of the military, and um, they had sent me to mental health after I had an incident where two officers prescribed me medication had me go to group, and then I went to inpatient treatment for 30 days where, again, people were telling me what to do. And, and um, I saw it as orders. I didn't see it as something I had a choice in. Yeah. Um, so when I got out, I wanted nothing to do with mental health. I can imagine um, if that's the way it was presented to you. Yep. Uh, almost the PTSD of being ordered around, right, right? Right. What helped in your recovery? So four, no, eight years ago, eight years ago, I was um, I went to the VA for a to see my, my primary provider for my knee and he was a nurse practitioner and had seen my medical records and seen that I had been on a medication and asked how that worked for me and I told him it didn't hmm. work for me and, and he shared with me that he had um, that it didn't work for him either hmm. and that he attacked his partner and destroyed his apartment hmm. and I looked at him because he was a nurse practitioner and I respected him and, and knew how hard it was for him to get to that position. And it just blew my mind because I I was never going to take meds again. I was never going to go to mental health again. And I left there with uh, an appointment to mental health and a new prescription. And I walked outside and I told my wife, I said, what the hell just happened? Yeah, isn't said, it remarkable? Isn't yeah. it remarkable when a human being shares that they've also had this journey? Yeah, he you saved know, my life. Yeah. It's that powerful. Mm -hmm. Just someone someone acknowledging, hey, this is really common. I've dealt with it before. Medication can do this or this, but there's lots of other alternatives for you. Mm -hmm. You you have that conversation now probably every day with people who are coming into Unity Behavioral Health Care Center. And one of the things that I think is amazing is that Unity has decided to provide people with lived experience so that others can see you can get through this. You can be on the other side of it and you can be, just be walking around like any other person. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'll sit down next to somebody and they'll look at me a little strange because I'm not wearing scrubs and I'm not wearing a, a lab coat like a provider. And um, they ask what I do and I let them know that I'm up here and that I've been in the hospital also. And they kind of take a deep breath and relax and their shoulders kind of relax and and then they ask if I'm a volunteer. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, no, I get I get paid for this. And exactly. You can too. And you have one of the most incredibly important jobs. Thank you so much for doing it. I know yeah. in our family's uh, circumstance, if we'd been greeted by somebody who'd actually gone through a crisis and came out the other side looking as healthy as you do, that we would have also breathed a little more deeply. So mm -hmm. thank you, Jay. It's huge. I want to talk about Folk Time in particular because it provides this amazing experience for people uh, in terms of storytelling, because essentially mm -hmm. we're all just cavemen sitting around the fire, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> only in different clothes and driving different cars these days, right? Right. 
What do you do on the nights when you get together with other people in folk time? Well, we have a lot of different things we do. Um, there's We have social programs um, that are open during the day, and then um, we have a lot of different fundraisers that we do. Um, we have one coming up it's at the Helium Comedy Club, oh, and which is I'm pretty excited about going to that. Um, I love comedy. I love laughter, and I think it's pulled me through some hard times, and, and um, so we'll be doing that here soon um, in October. And I think just... The biggest thing is that knowing knowing other people are out there who have the same experience or similar experiences I have. If you think about the statistics, one in four people are going to suffer from a major mental health crisis, and then you look around in a crowded mall or a movie theater and just count off, it's a lot more people that are walking around having dealt with something like this in their lives than are willing to actually talk about it. It is, it is, and I think that stigma is huge, and I think we're fortunate that Right now, there's a lot of different people working through that stigma or for that, to get rid of that stigma, you know. Um, and, yeah, I, I just read a statistic that like 20% of all the people that commit suicide are veterans, which kind of worries me a little bit because that, you know, and it probably worries my provider when I go talk to them. If you uh, could say something to somebody who's listening and going, wow, there's a vet on the air and he's actually talking about his mental health. I think even though it's hard to ask for help, it's it's um, it's probably the best thing that, that I have ever done. And, um, and one of the reasons I love folk time is because I get to be myself and I get to go to work and be myself even if I'm having a hard day. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Everywhere else I've worked, I've so social work for since 2005, and um, I would go to work to help other people, and now I get to go to work and support people, and they support me. Yeah, the people that I'm working with support me as much as I'm supporting them, and I can go to work and say I'm I'm not okay today, and everywhere else I had to put on that facade so that I could take care of everybody else. No kidding. I'm hoping that your message sort of resonates to every business owner, how much healthier their employee base would be if you allowed people to actually say, I'm not doing so well, I need a mental health day. Yeah, and I get a call. I need the resources. Right, and I get a call in and say, I'm not doing well today. I can't get out of bed instead of sticking my finger on my throat and going, I'm not feeling well. (laughs) And, 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 And that's okay. It's okay that I'm not okay that day and I can come in tomorrow. If you're just joining us today, I'm Sheila Hamilton. I'm listening Portland, and Jay Strausser is in studio. He's a unity supervisor, and he is, of course, one of the incredible members of Folk Time. Jay, what do you do now to stay well? What's your regimen like? I spend a lot of time with my family. I have a a granddaughter that's four years old, and Mm -hmm. she keeps me very busy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I spend a lot of time with my family. And are you taking now a combination of medica- medication and therapy that helps you stay sort of balanced out? Yes, I, I personally take medication. I don't know if that's the answer for everyone. Right. Um, and I am involved in my my therapy. Um, I wasn't always. I, I When I would go to groups and stuff, I didn't want to be there. Um, and I wouldn't learn anything. I wouldn't take any tools away. And now... I want to be a part of that, and I want to learn something from it. So um, I might not take everything that they're suggesting, but there's parts of it that I take, and um, I think that's changed too. And that changed that day that I met that nurse practitioner or that nurse practitioner shared with me his story. 
Is there um, any part of you that feels like you've kind of been blessed to have dealt with this challenge in your lifetime? Yes. I, I, like eight years ago, I didn't see that. But now, um, just the way everything fell into place and how I ended up getting the job at Folk Time, I feel like that's sort of exactly what's happened. And then I get to talk to people every day who are struggling and let them know that there's hope and that we can we can get through things together. Part of our plea today is to ask you to actually share your experience with other people. Because honestly, when you say, I dealt with a mental health challenge, who would know? Mm-hmm. Who would ever, ever suspect in the Fred Meyer checkout? Right, right. After reading your background, I thought she is the perfect person to not only eliminate the stigma when they talk about brain health, but begin having a completely different attitude about living with a brain disorder. And one of the things that amazed me after I read that you're an international bestseller and you're this coach for all of these famous athletes and artists and celebrities is that I noticed that you're in a wheelchair. Yes, I ran my, I was a head teacher for 20 years and I ran my school from, mainly from a wheelchair. Um, and there was a huge gift in that. And the gift was that I developed um, a very different way of looking at personal empowerment and developing leadership. Um, I'd like to think that I would have done it anyway. However, um, because I couldn't physically get into my classrooms, it meant that I had to find a different way of doing things. And necessity is the mother of invention. So out of that, for me, it was all about people taking personal responsibility for themselves, their emotional well-being and their performance, and having a collective responsibility for the whole of the rest of the staff and the children. And it's that technology that I now use, and I've used it now with thousands of people, Um, It's simple, it's easy to um, incorporate into your daily living. And for me, that was the gift that came out of being in a wheelchair. That it was successful, I think, can be seen because my school was on the list of the best 100 schools in England, not once, but twice during my tenure. Try to explain the central tenets of this program because I found it miraculous when I was reading about it. Thank you. I think... There's a number of principles, and the first principle is everything that we do is a choice. Even not choosing is a choice. And even when there are things that you can't get round, so I had to use a wheelchair, you have a choice in terms of how you view it and how you respond to it. Mm. And so for me, disability, whether that's physical disability or uh, mental disability, unless you, you don't have the capacity to, to think for yourself, how you deal with that challenge is up to you. It can either keep you small or it can define you. And I made the decision there was no way it was going to define me. You know, you said something very potent in that when you said, unless you can't think for yourself, When we're talking about people who have brain disorders, I think that there's a big misconception that they are the mental illness, that there's no self-reliance or ability to actually make decisions upon their own. I think that each person is an individual. And I know from working with parents at school of children who had um, um, brain disorders or physical disorders, that one of the conversations I had with them was... If you're not careful, you're going to doubly disable them. 
Yeah. You've got to ensure that they have a safe environment in which to give it a go, to make mistakes, to find a way that works for them and support them through all of those different um, attempts to do things. But if you don't allow them that, they're going to be limited not by their disability, but by your perception of their disability. And they're two different things. If you're just joining us today on I'm Listening, I'm Sheila Hamilton, your host, and we're talking with Gina Gardner. She's an international bestseller coach, as you've heard. She's run a wildly successful school. And I was really attracted to you ending our program today, Gina, because I wanted this half hour to be focused on the hope and the essential tenets of recovery your system and the way that you coach people really includes so many of the things I believe that even with the limitations that might be in your brain or in your body, we still have magnificent capacity. And for me, it's about focusing on what you can do rather than what you can't. So after my second back operation, I've had two failed back surgeries. Um, I could not stand at all. The first time I could only stand like a stork. But the second time I could not, if somebody had not left a cup or filled the kettle, I could not make a drink. I couldn't do anything other than watch telly or read. Wow. So I made the decision five days after coming out of hospital that I was going to go back to school. And people thought I was mad. And the consultant six months later said, I think we'll talk about you going back for a couple of hours a week. And I just laughed. I'd been back full time after three weeks. Why? Because at home I was completely limited, whereas at school I could use my brain, my hands, my mouth patently worked, mm. and I had people around who could actually um, lift things, fetch things, carry things. At school I wasn't disabled at all. At home I was physically very limited. So I chose to look at what I could do and then make the most of that and I've met the most amazing people over time people who could play the piano with their toes people who could paint using their mouth and nothing else and I think whatever your 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 disability what and for me disability is a metaphor for life because everybody disses their ability based on their beliefs about themselves. So mm. if you think I'm not good enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not rich enough, haven't got enough time, that is a belief that can keep you stuck. Ultimately, we all have those, but if you find the mechanism to push through those barriers, then things can really happen. And for me, I think it's part of our, um, our life's journey it's part of our, our part of our spiritual development is to recognise that we're not broken. Don't feel that you're on your own. It, there's no uh, shame in saying to somebody, "I need some help." And in the same way, I would say one of the greatest things that I have found is that when you reach out to help other people, you are also helping yourself. So I think for me, it's a two it's two sides. Um, ask for help. And be prepared to offer help. And both of those will inevitably um, bring a greater sense of achievement and satisfaction um, and a greater sense of fulfillment to you. Gina Gardner, thank you once again for joining us today on I'm Listening. I'm Sheila Hamilton, your host. Make it a great day. If you're in need of help, call the National Suicide Hotline 
at 1-800-273-8255. And for more information on Sheila or the resources she offers, contact her at SheilaHamilton.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.